The Natural Hat Trick, hosted by Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan. And Steve Peters. Welcome into episode 281 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast. Luke Lipinski alongside Craig Morgan. The Natty Hattie. That's an early morning one. <laughs> and Steve Peters. Wow. Morning, everybody. Yeah, that was awful. You sound really old, but I guess theoretically yeah. you kind of are. Wow. <laughs> Starts early. It dropping is early. The, dropping the gloves coffee, right yeah. off the face off. Not enough coffee. Good. Yeah, I haven't had any coffee. I I've had the uh, the start time of the show wrong, so at like seven fifty. <laughs> so did I. That's why I did the text. <laughs> if you hadn't sent that text, I would not be here right now doing this show. Uh, who's in charge? Oh, boy. Sometimes you, you think you know, Management. and then you just don't. Um, all right, so we uh, we'll start here. We're going to go around the playoffs real briefly, and then we're going to, of course, look at some of the Coyotes news. We'll get to listener questions. Always, you can uh, rate and review the show on iTunes. I think we got to start. In Toronto, where the Maple Leafs are down one nothing to Montreal already, uh, John Tavares injured. Fight between Nick Foligno and Corey Perry. You know, look, it's a best of seven in theory. Toronto should be able to bounce back from this just fine. But the fan base now has some time to freak out before Game Two, and uh, they are already. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, Tavares's injury was scary. Hopefully, you know, I haven't read the latest reports on that, but he did give the thumbs up. Hopefully, he's going to be okay. But that was a really scary moment and obviously a key player for them. But when I look at the series, like the worst fears for Toronto fans were realized yesterday. That was a low event game. And Carey Price was allowed to shine in that game. And that's Montreal's, that's, that's their MO if they want to win this series. So I know it's just one game, but I'm wondering if Toronto fans are walking through the streets in black today. Yeah, it's hard. You look at this Montreal team and it's a team that, it doesn't have the stars or the offensive firepower that, that Toronto has on the other side of the ice, but man, they work hard. They're physical. They're on top of you. And you know what? They just never give up. And if Carey Price plays like this, this team, you know, the ceiling is very high when you get goaltending this elite. Now he hasn't done that for a sustained period of time for years. So can he sustain that? I don't know. But you look at the injury to Tavares, you look at that's a guy that's your leader, your captain, you see him go down and it just takes something out of the group. You you just, it's hard to focus back on the game. It takes some of the motion away from your club. Um, and you don't, one thing they don't have in that series that you have in a lot of the series in the States is you don't have the fans to help bring that passion and inspiration back to you. Um, you're in an empty building and you don't feel good because you see this guy getting carted off on a stretcher. So I think if the reports, you know, are, are good on Tavares and we can put that behind you, I think I expect Toronto to, to, to come out with a better offensive um, outburst in game two. Um, if they don't and they have, they struggle through game two at home, this could be really tough for Toronto and Toronto fans. I, I think the best story is Montreal winning the series. I just, I still can't, I guess I can picture a way that they will do it, but I just, I don't think they can do it four times. I think that like Petey just said, last night's game, you know, you have the Tavares injury, which did it look terrible and they keep showing it in slow motion. I don't know what you guys think as far as if, if you thought it was intentional from Corey Perry or not, I know his reputation is, is horrendous. And so he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. I know the quotes from Nick Felino afterwards were, you know, I just fought him right there. So we could kind of all put it behind us. Felino said he didn't think it was malicious, at full speed, it doesn't look intentional. 
there's not a lot of full speed replays out there. You got to dig for those. They're all slowed down to like you know one one hundredth of the speed. And Maple Leafs fans hate Corey Perry now. It took about ten minutes. Yeah. Hey, uh, Toronto actually just released uh, an update about a half an hour ago, um, and I'll I'll just read it. Um, Toronto Maple Leafs captain John Tavares has been discharged from the hospital this morning. He was thoroughly examined and assessed by the neurosurgical team at St. Michael's Hospital and the club's medical director. He was kept overnight for observation, is now resting at home under the care and supervision of team physicians. Tavares will be out indefinitely. Yeah. That's yeah, a big yeah. blow to Toronto. The, the good news is that he's, that he's out of the hospital, and, he's in, and that's great news. Um, but when you're dealing with head and neck injuries, I mean, you don't know a timeline. I mean, this is a day, a week, a month career. Like, you just don't know. You don't want to speculate anything at this point, clearly. You go back to Corey Perry. Do I think it was intentional? You slow it down. You can make an argument for it. I don't think it was. I know his reputation is playing on the edge and maybe, you know, plays very hard. I don't think it's an intentional play there. It happens so quickly. I don't think he tries to knee the guy in the head. I I don't, I really don't believe he's going to try to hurt a player like John Tavares intentionally. Let's hope not. And, you know, you talk about the fight. Was it necessary? I don't know. Uh, if it's not intentional, you don't need the fight, but also you have the fight now it's done. Let's, let's go play. You know, we talked about the incident with Wilson and you never got past that. Now, at least we're past this incident. Let's, let's, let's have a good series now. Yeah. It sounds like that was the intention from Felino and, and sort of everybody involved. I mean, I, I'm with you. I guess Corey Perry has sort of forfeited the right to the benefit of the doubt with the way he's played over a good chunk of his career. But it sounds like those two have like a good history together. And it's just, there's definitely a world where that wasn't intentional. And I guess that's the way I'm going to choose to see it. But uh, I mean, game moves fast, especially in the playoffs, but either way, just terrible. I I maintain John Tavares is, is one of the most underrated players in the NHL, even though like everybody knows how good he is, but even playing in Toronto, I feel like you don't hear about him as much as you normally would. Um, but either way, uh, that's, that's terrible if he's going to be out indefinitely, like Craig said. The other Canadian. I wanted to ask you just one other thing. I don't know if you guys watched that game, but it, like I said earlier, it was a low event game. I was looking at some of the underlying numbers. Natural Statric had the high danger chances in that game, total of 11 in the game, six for Montreal, five for Toronto in the entire game. Again, that's the blueprint for Montreal. If they can keep playing that way, they have a chance to win this series. Well, the bigger issue for Toronto, too, is even if Montreal can't beat them playing that way, if they can't beat them four times, if it's the blueprint and it's out there, if somebody else who can score a little bit more than Montreal can do it, you know, then you're going to be in the same boat. But I think for Toronto right now, the biggest thing is what it's been since 2004 since they've won a playoff series. Like some of this, some of this appears to be mental, too. Um, the other Canadian series, look, Winnipeg's a good team. Petey's been pointing this out repeatedly on this podcast. They stumbled down the stretch, but then they also got a week off because Vancouver had to play out their schedule for some reason, and they go out and take game one. I mean, Craig, you put it in the notes. At what point are we going to see Connor McDavid make a playoff run? It could still be this year, but I would not have expected that one goal game from Edmonton to start things off. Yeah, and and listen, uh, we know like uh, the last time uh, Edmonton was in the playoffs, it was Leon Draisaitl and not Connor McDavid that was making the offensive impact. So it's just one game, so it's it's way too early to say this, but Connor McDavid better come back with a statement in game two, otherwise there are going to be some whispers about that fact that he hasn't made a big impact in in the postseason uh, the last couple times. Um, again, it's it's way too early to worry about that, and given the season that he's had, uh, I would expect him to come out, but. 
Edmonton definitely is behind the eight ball. I, I wanted to ask you, Petey, about one other thing. Uh, Mike Smith, you know, we saw the last time Dave Tippett chose to go with Mike Smith early in a series. It backfired. I'm not sure it's so much backfired in this case, but he gave up four goals. And that's, that's, that's not playoff goaltending. That's, that's not the way you're going to win. What are your thoughts on that goaltending situation at Edmonton? The, the worries in Edmonton are the things that have been around this team for a couple of years, and you can't let that creep into this series early. And unfortunately for Dave Tippett, it's already happening. Um, he needs McDavid to be the best player in the series, and so far that hasn't happened. And you know the Winnipeg Jets all they're doing in their pre-scout meetings is stop Connor McDavid. We stop McDavid and keep him off the score sheet. Our chances of winning go up exponentially. And you can go through Edmonton since they've acquired McDavid. When he's kept off the score sheet, what their win and loss percentages is, it's incredible the difference between him scoring and him not scoring. He doesn't score. You have a chance to win. So Edmonton, they need to get that offense going. And more importantly, Mike Smith, who played really well, at periods throughout the the regular season, and his numbers were outstanding. Some of the best of his career. Yes. The fear has been, wait till the playoffs. What's he going to do in the playoffs? And I know he had the great run here in Arizona in 2012 where he carried the team um, through the playoffs. That hasn't happened since 2012. That's nine years ago. That's a long time in the lifespan of a goaltender. Um, there is a major fear that Mike Smith might not be your goaltender for, for the, the completion of this series. And if he's not, they might not win. Then you see them not winning this series. Now we talk about Dave Tippett's lifespan in Edmonton. You know, the, their expectations are extremely high, similar to Toronto. What happens with Dave Tippett in Edmonton? Um, they need to win the series. And I think you're looking at two coaches, Paul Maurice and Dave Tippett. They need to win the series. And if the loser of this series, unfortunately, may be looking for a job. I, I don't, I, I, I think that's how important this series is. Um, Edmonton, I expect to have a bounce back game. I expect McDavid to answer. He's got that drive, fire, and preparation. I expect a great game out of him. I expect this to be 1 1 heading back to Winnipeg. Are they, you know, if they don't win this series, you look at the way they're built. Is that a recipe that can work in the playoffs? I mean, you're talking about basically a team that's built around two players. Granted, they're two of the best players in the world, and McDavid is the best player, but he's such a skill guy. Whereas, like, you see a guy like McKinnon who's kind of thriving in Colorado. He's, he's A, he's had playoff success before. B, he's not necessarily as much of a finesse guy as McDavid. There's just so much pressure on McDavid and Dreisaitl to combine for four points every night. I mean, is that going to work over the course of a playoff? Because, I mean, they've won one playoff series since Connor McDavid was drafted. Yes, you look at the, you look at the playoff games, and if, if you've been watching any of these series at all, there is no room out there. The defending is better. The checking is better. It's physical. It's tight. You're not seeing a lot of – I mean, there's some really good offensive plays. I, I don't mean that that's not happening, but this is a much, much, much tighter game than it is during the regular season. McDavid doesn't get the – any room right now. There's somebody on top of him. There's somebody hitting you and you get frustrated. And now he wants to do more by himself. And the more he wants to do by himself, the less he can actually accomplish. And it's just a vicious cycle. I'm not sure. I I know I've talked to Dave Tippett in the past and he said, you know what? Every team focuses on Connor McDavid every single night and he still gets points, three and four points a night. So you know, let him try. I think that was kind of their their thought and and philosophy. But you're seeing it come to bear across the league. 
you're not getting those great, pretty passing plays offensively. It's hitting a shin pad, the goalie goes this way, and the puck goes that way, and somebody taps it in. These are hard, hard, gritty goals that are winning these games. I'm not sure there's going to be the room and space he needs to, to play at the level that he needs to play at for Edmonton. Yeah, yeah, and it that it, it is tough to have that sort of pressure on him. But, uh, again, Connor McDavid has to do more than he's doing right now. But to get back to your original question, Luke, I – I just think Edmonton's roster is still tragically flawed in spite of the fact that they have two of the best players in the world. There are just too many holes in this lineup. I don't, I don't see this as a legitimate cup contender. And when, when I look at this North division, I mean, I, I look at Winnipeg's blue line, and I think that's not a good blue line. They really don't have a good blue line. So that's a team that's flawed too. I'm not sure if there's a team in that division other than Toronto that is cup-worthy. It's just it, when you look at Edmonton, you know, McDavid, I'm sure he'll go out there and have a hat trick in the next game. But the thing is, the way they're built, he kind of has to have a hat trick like every game or two goals and two. And that's just that's I don't know that that's realistic if you're trying to win 16 playoff games, because like Petey said, it's so much harder to score two goals in a game. Uh, it's, it's so much harder just to even get open for a good scoring chance in the playoffs. So we'll see. But you're right. I mean, every team in this Canadian division is flawed on some level because Toronto is clearly the best on paper all around. But until they win a playoff series, it does seem like it's in their head and that pressure is only going to mount. Like if they somehow go down two nothing to Montreal, I can't even imagine what that city's going to be like. Um, I guess we'll get into the penguins now. Let's just, uh, <laughs> I was trying to scroll up and down the notes. Can I, oh, can yeah. I read the, uh, the, the note that I, I put in the show notes? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Luke expands on his lack of faith in the Penguins. The floor is yours, Luke. I, I'll just say it's two wins, which is uh, more than they've done since the year still they won the Cup. He's still but, qualifying it. Well, I just it's a, it's not a best of three series. I, I will say this team looks different than teams in years past. Uh, the last couple of years, they do have they have more of that like resilience that they had the the first two years. Mike Sullivan was there when they won the Cup. The last couple of years, and then prior to Mike Sullivan when he got there. They had that stretch where it was like if they lost a playoff game, the series was over. They obviously lost game one of this series. The series isn't over right now. They're up 2-1. But, I mean, all these games have been close. I would assume the series is going seven games. Now Malkin's back in there, had a couple assists. We'll see. Uh, I, I know it feels crazy to say. I mean, I don't think they could win a cup without Malkin going. But, I don't know, they looked, they looked fine without him in the first two games compared to the way he's played the last two years. We'll see. They obviously need him going, and they have a hard time with the Islanders. So uh, color me with uh, cautious optimism, whatever color that is. Also, only for this round. They're not beating Boston or Washington, even if they get through. Ah, there it is. Okay. Well, one of the things that I th- is surprising about Pittsburgh is the influence Jeff Carter's had in these playoffs already. Like, to have a guy that's been there before, he's won before with the L.A. Kings, he's been a thorn in the side for Coyotes fans for years on the score sheet. Um, he's having a great series, and he, yep. he's making an impact above probably what I would have expected him to do. You think he's aging, and he, you know, maybe he'll help in the room, but maybe not on the ice. Boy, what an impact he's had. And Tristan Jari's been outstanding. Like some of the saves he's made in this series have been, you know, elite, elite goaltending, which they will need to win this series. Um, you, you know, Sidney Crosby's going to be there with Malkin coming back. You've got, you know, they have the high end middle ice. They're going to be fine. The, the issue with the Islanders is, is, is can they rebound and play the game they want to play four lines deep? Let's just keep rolling and we're going to keep coming at you for 60 minutes. And hopefully we end up on the, the, the positive side of the scoreboard. Um, they're going to try to wear down Pittsburgh. 
with four lines, continually forechecking, making the defenseman play 200 feet, pounding him into the wall. And by game five, six, seven, Pittsburgh defenders are going to start getting tired. So is that a recipe that can get them through the next series? I don't know. I still think Pittsburgh comes out on top, but I think, Luke, this is going to go seven, and you're going to be on the edge of your seat. Jeff Carter points a good one. He's got 12 goals in 17 games as a Penguin. And, and that can even spin us into the next series with uh, Boston and Washington, which so far has been the best series as advertised. But you're looking at two Jeff Carter and Taylor Hall, two trade deadline acquisitions essentially in a year when there was so much talk of, is it really even worth adding a guy at the deadline? Because, you know, it's going to take a while for him to get to the new team. The season is shortened. How long does it take those guys to settle in? Those were probably the two biggest trade deadline acquisitions at the time. They certainly are now. And right now, they're, they've essentially been the difference in two of these series. And they've been, I mean, Pittsburgh down the stretch had success because of Carter. And Boston, I mean, Taylor Hall has fit perfectly there. We, we, I can't imagine he ever wants to leave that city. Yeah, and there's already, I mean, there's, there's always talk of extensions where, wherever a guy is, but there's talk of an extension here. And, and as we talked about previously, I just think it's a good situation for him. He doesn't have to be the guy he can slot into that second line and, you know, lower in the lineup. He doesn't have to be the guy that's relied on every night, even though he likes being that guy, as we saw here. It's a good role for him. Yeah, that's a great series. And you, this is such a difference as a hockey fan watching these games on TV, the Washington Boston series versus the North series, you know, the fans the, and the engagement that the fans have versus what they have in the North division. It's, it makes for much better television. Um, this Boston series has everything you want as a fan. It's physical. There's high end talent. There's goal scoring. There's good goal tending. Like this is a great series that has had three overtime games. Um, I expect again, this is going to go seven games right down to the wire and which team has their best players playing the best at that time. That's who's going to win. Yeah. Hall has 10 goals, six assists. So 16 points in 19 games at the Bruins too. And, and like you guys are saying, he doesn't have to be the guy there but he also can take over a game at any time. I mean, and, and that's, you start to watch these playoffs and there's 16 teams in it, but you can tell there's, I don't know what, six, probably five or six teams that really are so overly reliant on like two guys to score like an Edmonton or even on like one line and maybe like the second line can chip in occasionally. Those teams, they're going to get weeded out, right? I mean, you start to, like Boston is a team that could go deep. Colorado could go deep. Washington could go deep because they, their third line, their fourth line could produce, and a guy on their second line like Taylor Hall can just take over a game. That's, you know, it's it's crazy one of those two teams is going to be out in the first round, but obviously one of them is. And the other thing with these teams, is it's and we've all watched playoffs year after year after year. There's going to be a hero on one of these teams that we're not expecting. There's going to be a guy that steps up and plays hockey that he hasn't played in his entire career that's going to be a story by the third round. And I think we still – have yet to see who that player is going to be. But you talk about Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall doesn't have to be Taylor Hall anymore. You know, they've got Pasternak, Marchand, they've Bergeron. They've got those guys. So maybe he can be the quiet, quiet guy that gets the big goals at the right time throughout the series and becomes a, a bigger story as this progresses. Um, I will say this as a hockey fan, this hockey has been outstanding. Um, to, and credit to the NHL to get to this point again through the pandemic, through the bubble, all of these things to get to this point is absolutely amazing. And to see fans in the building again pounding on the glass is a, is a testament to how, how the league followed through on their protocols to get to where we are today. I honestly, I didn't think we'd make it this far. So this is really exciting. 
last night was a really good night of playoff hockey. I, I was flipping back and forth and it was even, even the Toronto Montreal game, even though it was more low event, it was still, you know, it was tight. So there was tension in that game. I really enjoyed watching last night's games. Yeah. And it, uh, that's, that's a good point. I mean, a game like that, if that was two random teams in the regular season, we'd all be like, okay, like if that was New Jersey and, and whoever in, in the regular season, we'd be like, okay, why would I watch this? But because there's in Calgary. <laughs> Is that series over yet? Um, but because there's just so much riding on that Toronto-Montreal series, you know one of those cities is going to be miserable in two weeks, and one of them is going to be ecstatic regardless of what happens the rest of the playoffs. Yeah, all of a sudden it's you're a lot more invested sitting through two hours, two and a half hours of, of low-event hockey because there's so many events leading up to and, and then after those games in that series. Um, Tampa Bay and Florida, you know, I really have no rooting interest in any of these series except the Penguins. And as Craig put in the notes, is anybody outside of D.C. rooting for the Capitals? I don't know, but I'm outside of D.C. and I'm definitely pulling for Boston. But all the other series, I just kind of want to see good hockey. But I was happy to see Florida win last night because I want that series to keep going. And it was going to be over if they lost. Yeah, Craig said that the other series, the Boston series, is the best series to watch. This is the one that's that I'm enjoying. I, I think it, it has all the elements we talked about in the other series. It's got the goal scoring. It's got the high paced offense. It's got the good players playing good. Uh, it's got great goaltending. Even though the scores are high, the goaltending has been good. Uh, this series has been outstanding. And I was surprised to see how quickly Kucherov and Stamkos made an impact in this series. I thought Florida was going to get a quick jump before those guys got up to speed. And the mistake Florida made was putting Tampa on the power play so much in game one. And, and I think that gave Kucherov some legs. I think he got his legs underneath him. I think he got his, you know, the touch and the feel of the game back. The game came, came to him a little quicker than I had expected, but they were on the power play so much. So you got more time and space. Um, I, I really surprised to see Florida leave the Miami area down too, but, but Tampa looks like a Stanley Cup champion right now. Yeah. And by the way, I did not say the DC, uh, the Washington Boston series was the best. Oh, that was Luke? It may have been Luke. I'm, I'm that was me. I, <laughs> okay. I, I stand by Sorry. it. Every game's gone to overtime. It's, I stand by it. Yeah, that's how much I pay attention. It's a great series. It's a toss up. And look, if Florida doesn't rally in that game last night, this could be a sweep. So, yeah. but the, the hockey has been so much fun to watch. And, and yeah, the road team has won all three games, by the way. So this is a crazy series right now to watch. And, Early in that game, I, I was thinking, okay, I picked Florida in this series, and I'm looking like a complete idiot. Yeah, I know. Swept. And now, you know, they're a win away from evening up the series, and wow, this this, this has been terrific hockey. I'm really I, enjoying this series. For hockey fans that haven't had a chance, and I know that those marquee matchups tend to draw more television coverage and more attention, if, if hockey fans haven't seen this Florida Panther team, you need to watch them. Like, the speed they play the game at – is impressive. Like they just throw pucks out to the neutral zone and guys skate onto the puck. It, it's impressive to watch how highly skilled and how fast this team is. And some names, you, you know, Barkov is an underrated player, but there's a guy on defense, Uyghur is an unbelievable offensive player. Every time he has a puck, something could happen. That, that pair of him and Forsling, unbelievably high offensive defensive tandem that people have probably not heard of. So if you get a chance, tune into that team. They're, they're really exciting and fun to watch. Yeah. See, now I kind of want Tampa to win just so Craig feels like an idiot. So prior <laughs> to, to realizing that uh, you mentioned Mackenzie Weger, where did he had 37 points this year? Where did he come from? I mean, he just one of the best offensive 
producing defensemen in the NHL this year. And is it just because he's in Florida? I mean, is that why people don't know him? Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah. he is, I tell you what, I, I spent a lot of time watching Florida prior to the, the season, the series starting and it, cause it's a team I didn't know well. And, and he just jumps off the page. Like he's, he's, he leads the rush. He turns the puck in the neutral zone and he'll take the puck end to end um, on the power play. He's dangerous. He is an unbelievably quick defenseman and he's fast enough that he can get back and defend a unbelievably underrated player. Like the numbers are outstanding. You know, he, he was drafted by, by the Florida's boy in the, in the seventh round back in 2013. That's where we're talking about teams being able to draft. Well, this is a guy not on anybody's radar. And, and I think he's, he, he will be a difference in this series. You wait and see. Uyghur sounds like an American metal band to me. I don't know. <laughs> From like yeah. the eighties, 1980s. <laughs> hey Luke, you, you asked me if I had all the series in the notes. I actually left one out. Um, Good. I know. HK. Not because I, yes, I think a lot of the nation felt that way. And not because I don't like watching Carolina. I do. Carolina is a really good team, but I never thought this was going to be a series. And it's not a series. No. Nashville's no. not that good. Nashville is in decline. They've been clinging to that bubble status for a couple seasons. By the way, which, which brings up an interesting point when you look at the Central Division and where the Coyotes are going next year. There are a lot of teams that appear to be in decline in the Central Division. I want to write a story on that later. I'm curious for your guys' thoughts on that. Put you on the uh, screen here. On the Central I'm Division? All the teams in the Central right now without any pre-thought. Yeah, well, Nashville's definitely on the cl- decline for sure because we're talking about that series. And then you look at the St. Louis Blues, aren't the St. Louis Blues that won the Stanley Cup? I, I don't know where Chicago fits into that. I'm not sure where you know you you, you think they're ramping up. I haven't watched them closely enough to know where they're going to be. Minnesota's going to be better. Minnesota's going to be one of the elite teams in the Central. Absolutely. I, well, if Colorado, they, Colorado, and then Colorado is. When we get there, jumping ahead, Craig. But when when you get there, that's a team that, that, that they're built to win for the next few years. So the Coyotes are going to be in. They're going to be just like they were this year, and like we say perennially, they're going to be in that spot just at the playoff line. And either they're just going to miss and not get a high draft pick, they're not going to be last, and they're not going to be first. They're going to be right in the middle, like they are for the last decade. I mean, I think they're going to take a step back next year, but I, I wonder about after that because I have a pretty good idea where the Blackhawks are myself, and I, I don't think it's on the rise. Um, I think Dallas <laughs> is in decline as well. Yeah, I think there are a lot of teams out going the wrong way, and I think if Jamie Eisner were here, he might have the Minnesota Wild as his nonlinear progression team. Wow. Uh, thankfully, wow. he's not, but you just said that, and somewhere Gilbert Anthony's ears perked up while he was listening to the podcast. Wow. Um, wow. I wanted to do this last week and we couldn't really do it because the, the playoff series weren't actually set in the West. And as it turns out, Vegas dropped down, but I wanted us to just rank what we expected, like in terms of most entertaining series one through eight. And I was going to put them together and see like collectively as a podcast who we had one all the way down to eight. I'm, I feel pretty safe in saying we were all going to have that Carolina national series eighth, right? And, yeah. and it, it has lived up to the billing so far. Carolina is just so much better than Nashville. Um, and I, I honestly, I think we probably would have had Tampa, Florida and Boston, Washington towards the top too. So it's, it's actually played out the way you would expect. Yeah. Is there a storyline in Carolina? Craig, can you pronounce their goalie's name? 
I mean, I'll call him Ned because it's just easier. I like that. Let's just go with Ned. <laughs> yeah, let's just go with Ned. But he, he's been outstanding. It's a faster team. It's a better team. It's a younger team. They're a deeper team. This series won't be a series. The only other storyline is can they sign Rob, Rod Brendamore to an extension in, in Carolina? Um, and I think if they win this series, they have to re-sign him as the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes. I would say, I, A, I agree with that, and B, the other storyline is, are they good enough to beat Tampa if Tampa comes out of that series? Because Carolina has been really pretty good in the regular season the last few years now. Third best record in all of hockey this year during the regular season. They're like, they are a legitimate team, and I think you look at them and you're just like, okay, but they can't do anything in the playoffs. It's been Boston who keeps taking them out in the playoffs. They're not going to play Boston the next round, but Tampa's probably better than Boston. Mm-hmm. Unless Florida wins that series. Well, yeah. Thank goodness we didn't pick all the way through to the end. Maybe, maybe oh, we should have because at least next year we can all reset for all our mistakes in this first round. No, and this year I was smart enough to keep all of our uh, predictions. There, <laughs> oh, darn I didn't write them down, so I was hoping nobody did and we could just <laughs> move on. For some so, reason I did. By the way, Colorado right now, I mean, I, I, had, I, I wondered about – the St. Louis Blues and what they might be able to get done playing so well. I'm not wondering. Nothing. Right now, good God, Colorado looks scary, don't they? I mean, to me, they're the best team in the playoffs so far. And Nathan McKinnon is an absolute beast. The difference between him and McDavid, McDavid's speed is there, his skill is there, his hockey IQ, his vision, all of those things are there. McKinnon's just bigger, stronger, and tougher. Like he's got that, he's got that little edge to him that he gets some space on his own, not just the speed, but he can physically demand more space. He's, he's been the best player in the playoffs so far. Like he's been the best player in the national hockey league right now. If same thing we say about Colorado for the regular season, if they're big three, McDavid, McDavid, McKinnon, Rantanen, Landis God can stay healthy. They can keep McCarr healthy on the back end and Grubauer doesn't get hurt. I don't see who's going to stop this team from hoisting the cup. They're playing that well right now. Um, but one injury to any of those key players and all bets are off. Yeah. Is, is it fair to say that – see, I want to make sure I say this right because I, I do think McDavid's one of the best players I've ever seen. But is it fair to say right now in their careers McKinnon is is more well-built for the playoffs for what Petey just said? Like it's so hard to move McKinnon off the puck and he is able to create his own shots. Not like McDavid isn't, but also – Colorado's third line can score goals and Edmonton's, you know, third player can't score right now. I think that's the difference. I think the difference is the surrounding cast around McKinnon and McDavid. I think McKinnon gets, you can't defend just McKinnon. There are so many other options on that Colorado team that you're defensively, you're going to have to spread your, your, the way you play against that team differently than you would against Edmonton. So I think there's definitely a part of that. Um, and they are two different styles of player. I mean, it's a bull in a shine shop that can fly. And, and then McDavid is more finesse that can fly. So there are different styles, whether it's prepared for the playoffs or not. I, I think that will still bear out over the next few weeks. Yeah, but I do like the fact that McKinnon's the type of guy that can can go through guys. He literally can will his way physically to the net. Um, I'm, you know, Connor McDavid's not a small guy. It's not like he, he doesn't have strength, but McKinnon is, like you said, he's just a bull. There's, there's a lot of similarities. I said this after game one in that series that, you know, going back to when Pittsburgh finally won their, their first cup with, with Crosby in 09, 
that to me is what Colorado looks like this year. And, and I mean, the similarities between McKinnon and Crosby, that's, those are obvious, but it's not just that they train together or that they're from the same town in Canada. Like they play a very similar style of hockey at this point. And I just, I mean, I look back to last year and I still feel like Colorado should have won their series. And I just remember like the disbelief on McKinnon's face on the bench when they lost and they lose in double overtime and, or at least single overtime in game seven to Dallas and and all of a sudden Dallas was able to come back from down three goals in games last year in the playoffs. Remember where they couldn't even score in the regular season. And I, I don't know, I just that Colorado team, I can't imagine picking against them in any round the way they're built. The goaltending is obviously an issue, but it's not an issue if you're going to score four or five goals every night, I guess. Yep. He just needs to be good. And I think he is good. Like Grubar is not the high, his numbers make him appear to be the high-end elite that's the team in front of him he just needs to be good throughout these playoffs if he's just good and stops the puck he's supposed to stop this team is going to be dangerous the uh, last series we didn't have we didn't know vegas was going to play minnesota and i know we all picked vegas last week i i honestly if we're being completely transparent here i i may have taken minnesota once i saw that that's who vegas was playing i mean vegas is just so much better than the wild and they're up to one but Minnesota has had their number. I, I think that this has been a very good series so far. Last night's game was so weird because Minnesota looked like they were up 3 nothing, then they weren't, and then all of a sudden Vegas just went on an absolute tear to close the game out. This one on paper to me is another one that Vegas should win this series. Vegas is the better team, deeper team, stronger team. They're the better team. But when you talk about history, and I've, I've said this before, there are some teams that other teams struggle against. The Arizona Coyotes play well against St. Louis. No rhyme or reason. There's no big secret. They just, over the last few years, Arizona's played very well against St. Louis. In this case, Minnesota has been outstanding against Vegas. Vegas beat Minnesota out of 17 games. Minnesota, <clears throat> uh, Vegas only beat them twice in regulation. Twice. Yeah. That's, that's unbelievable to me. So I know what Minnesota's coaching staff, players, management, they wanted to play Vegas. So here is a question. Vegas is down the stretch with a chance to win the President's Trophy. It's down to the last two games, and Vegas fields 15 players on their roster because of the salary cap, and they lose, and they lose the President's Trophy, and now they have to play Minnesota. So if Minnesota can come through and win this series, does someone need to be held accountable for that? Is that a management mistake? Is it, uh, they, if they field 20, can they win the president's trophy? Now they're playing St. Louis and up, you know, three games to none. I, I, I don't know, but I, I'm sure somewhere internally they're going, uh oh, they, they, they went 25% of their games with less than 20 players on their roster because of the salary cap. I've, I, it's, it, that's the price of getting Pietrangelo, but now, What's the, is the is the the price worth the cost of the, of the player? And I think yeah. it is. And we'll see. You know, yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm not sure it's going to matter in this series. I, I think they made a statement in that last game, and they 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 took hold of this series. You're right. But if they if they go to a game seven with Colorado and it's in Denver versus in Vegas, where they clearly have a home ice advantage, sure. Yeah, you have to look at that. That's a really good point. I actually something I hadn't even thought about before. But yeah, you, I mean that could be the difference between them. Winning yeah. a cup and not winning a cup because these are two of the very best teams in the league without question. Maybe, maybe one and two in the league, but certainly two of the top four or five teams in the league. 
you know, we talk about the series we're looking for in the next round. We wanted to see Edmonton and Toronto, the McDavid Matthews matchup, and I want to see Colorado Vegas. I want to see what they look like head to head. They've they've battled each other all regular season. I think they're two of the elite teams. I want to see who can rise to the occasion between these two teams. I hope that happens, but you're absolutely right, Craig. If this comes to game seven and it's in Denver versus Vegas, what a different feel that game will have. Yeah. Well, I think we all agree. Well, I don't want to put words in your guys' mouth, but I mean, those are, if they're not the two best teams in the NHL, they're two of the best. And so sort of to Petey's point, honestly, I thought it might show up more in this, this round. Like if you, if you end up dropping down and playing Minnesota, basically by a tiebreaker because you didn't have your salary cap set up right where you had, you had to play with 15 guys in a big game against Colorado. Can you imagine if that happened in Toronto in Toronto or really any Canadian market? I mean, that would be the biggest story in the NHL going into the playoffs. You put yourself in a position where instead of playing St. Louis, where you probably win in four or five, you're playing a team that has had your number really since you came into the league. And at least in theory, it was avoidable, but like you know, like Craig just said, it seems like maybe Vegas is taking control of yeah. the series anyway. The series turned last night. I mean, I, I, I thought Minnesota's been hanging around it. Even in the game they won, they were they were outshot. But Flurry's been unbelievable. Um, it's been a tight series, but I think it I think the tide turned last night in the second period when you you know, you see Vegas finally becoming who who they really are. Uh, Minnesota's gonna have a hard time hanging on. We haven't seen any memes of uh, Flurry with a sword in his back yet this year in the playoffs. So it's, it's, I guess that's a good sign for them. All right, let's get to uh, some of the Coyote stuff, and uh, we'll start with uh, with Rick Tockett, who's, um, I mean, I would imagine right there as as one of the main one or two guys for a lot of these jobs that are available. I, I was talking to somebody at work about this the other day. It's, I mean, to me, you look at these jobs. Seattle's is a it's a different job, certainly. Um, there's got to be some intrigue there. If I were a head coach and I was looking around, Seattle would certainly be high up on my list. But the talent that the Rangers have, and if you can win in New York, I mean, that's it's not it's not easy necessarily to coach talent. But especially if I'm Rick Tockett, if I'm looking around, I'm like, oh, okay, this team has a ton of pieces already in place. I haven't necessarily had that high end skill guy times five in the past and now at my disposal now i could potentially have it if i end up in new york craig look at all this dead air go ahead no <laughs> well they, you know I, I it's these coaching carousels to me year after year after year it's almost you, these all of these coaches leave a team and then they just go to a different team it's a it's a it's always been amazing to me when you you see the, how quickly they get recycled. And right now, the, the three names that are coming up a lot are Tortorella, Tockett, and Gerard Gallant. Those three names appear to be at the top of this current cycle's head coaching list. I think you're going to see Gallant and Tockett interview for every job that's open. I think their name's going to come up associated with every job that's open. And once one team blinks and picks a coach, these dominoes are going to fall quick because Teams don't want to miss out on the guy that they think is their guy. So right now it seems like it's a slow process. And, you know, this guy's getting interviewed today, this guy tomorrow. Once somebody makes a decision, I think these pieces are going to fall very quickly. Um, and I know Rick Tockett, you know, when he left, it was a mutual parting of the ways here in Arizona. Um, I think the job that he takes, if he does take a job, will also be a mutual decision. He, Rick Tockett, the guy that wants to win. So he's looking at this team, these teams that have openings and where, where can I 
help this team get over the hump and we're going to help them win. Um, so I think, you know, you look at the Rangers roster, they're the closest to winning right now. The perception in Seattle, I think publicly is, well, Vegas did it. Seattle can do it, but it's not going to happen twice. I don't, you know, I don't want to ruin the Seattle fans hopes and dreams, but that happening twice, man, that's going to be really unlikely. It's going to be a good team. They're not going to be an elite team like the Rangers are. Um, I think this coaching carousel will start coming to an end and the wheel will start stopping in the next 10 days. I think you're going to see one guy get picked and then things are going to go quick. And, and honestly, when the dust clears, I don't know if Rick will be working or not because if it's not the right fit, he won't be. He'll, he'll sit it out until it is the right fit. It's interesting that, you know, you mentioned those veteran coaches um, and, and, and I think talk interviewed for Seattle on Thursday. I think he interviews for the Rangers job on Monday. Um, the Coyotes aren't in on any of those guys. So, you know, Bill Armstrong had said that they wanted to get a jump because of, you know, the situation. Let's, let's face it. The Coyotes are not the most attractive coaching job out there when you, when you rank them. But I don't, I don't know that they needed to get a jump because it sounds like they're after a different type of candidate than, than a lot of these teams are after. Then again, we may see more openings as the playoffs progress here. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, and Bill Armstrong publicly has said he's looking for a coach that can grow with the team. So he's not looking for the guy, you know, the 10, 12 year veteran coach that's, that's been around before. They want something new and fresh and a different look and a different feel. Um, right now, of the jobs that are open, I think they're the only team that's looking for that particular candidate. I even think Columbus is looking for a more experienced coach. Um, so I, I think, you know, you, do they need to get a jump? No, I think they need to get it right. So that I think they can take their time in, in Arizona. Um, and you talk about a desirable job. I think it's Arizona is a great place to work. And if you're going to work in hockey, this is a great city. Um, when you talk about desirability, you, you talk about winning. It's going to be a tough year next year. I think there's going to be some real growing pains for this organization next season. So I, I don't look for this team to be at the, at the top of the central standings. So that, that's going to be the difficulty. But again, for a younger coach, this could be a really good opportunity. There's still some really good young pieces. You know, they, they, they could be a team, you know, two years from now, they go, okay, they've turned the corner. So I think for the coach that does get this, who's going to be less experienced as a head coach or a younger coach, um, this could be a, a really great fit. It is. It's strange because like what Petey just said, it, you keep recycling the same coaches and you know, how much can you really expect to win the cup? If you're taking a coach that already hasn't won, or even if they have won cups elsewhere, but the three names that are out there this year to me are a little bit different because one, you got Tortorella, and he's just, he's such an outlier, and he's so unique that you sort of know what you're getting with him. And you're probably only going to have him for a few years, and he's going to burn, you know, he's just going to burn, it's going to be scorched earth. But he's also going to get a lot out of your guys when you have him. Tockett, I still don't really look at as a recycled coach because I, I know he had time in Tampa, but it was such a strange stint, and it was so short. I really look at the Coyotes as his only NHL head coaching experience, whether that's fair or not. And so I almost feel like you, you are still kind of getting like a, you're getting an experienced guy, but also a guy that still has some untapped potential, which I think would be attractive to a team like New York, especially. And then Gallant has had such a weird ending to each of his last two jobs. I mean, the guy wins, but then he gets left by the side of the road with the uh, Panthers and he gets booted from Vegas for the coach that was his main rival and Pete DeBoer. So normally I, I hear what you're saying, but this year, those three names in particular, they, they all seem a little, little different 
than the normal mold of, of recycled coaches that we see. Yeah, and you, the point you made on uh, Tuckett is a good one because I, I, I get troubled by this idea that, oh, this, this guy hasn't won a couple places. Why are they turning to him? It ignores the possibility of growth. Most people get better at their jobs over time, pre- presuming that they're actually putting in the time. And, and, and I, I hate to say it because I hate this expression, but assuming they have the growth mindset. That's and the I think name Rick of this Tuckett, episode. Rick Tockett dives into research all the time. He talked about it in that Q&A with, I did with him. He thinks there are new, new ways of coaching, new methods out there, and he wants to spend some time reading up on that. I think most, most coaches get better at their jobs over time. There can come a, a point where maybe, you know, maybe you're too old and you're not, you're not willing to put in that time anymore, you know, like a Dennis Erickson here at ASU. Um, but I, I, I hate that narrative. So I, I don't think it's fair, and I don't think that's something that uh, – that GM should be looking at when they're hiring. Yeah, when you look at Rick Tocchi's tenure here in Arizona, I don't think any one of us is going to sit there and go, yeah, this was a Stanley Cup champion team. I, I don't know on paper over his four years here in Arizona that anybody had the delusions that, yeah, this is a Stanley Cup team. We're ready to go. The first year was a tough year for him. There's no doubt. And that started off tough. It was, you know, they, they never were able to get back in the standings after the horrible start they had. But the, the next three years, one, you make the playoffs. The other two, you're talking about the playoffs with a week to go in the season on the other two. I know it's just, you know, it's a moral victory, but I don't know what what you expected to happen with those teams. I, I think Rick Tockett squeezed as much juice out of these players and this roster as was capable. And you talk about, well, you didn't win. Mike Babcock won a Stanley Cup with the Detroit Red Wings. He goes to Toronto, a team that has unlimited resources for players, facilities. They have everything they need, and they don't win. Not only don't win, they barely make a blip on the radar through the playoffs with Mike Babcock. So to say you've won doesn't necessarily mean it gets you over the hump the next time. Rick Tockett's won. He's He's been a player, and he's won. He's been an assistant coach and won. Rick Tock has been around that winning environment. To me, what a coach does is he maximizes the team that he is with. If Babcock maximizes his time with Toronto, why aren't they the Stanley Cup champions? I, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out into the universe because he's another name I've heard on the outliers with a Seattle job. So, I, I, you know, he's another name. Yeah, Claude Julian. There's a lot of coaches out there. So what is the coach that's going to fit for the that team and I, I go to Rick Talk and say, "Hey, he's maximized players." Phil Kessel led this team in scoring, and if you don't tell me that that's squeezing as much juice out of that orange as possible, <laughs> I, I think you're wrong. So um, it's going to be interesting, and I think the perception of Rick Tockett outwardly is he is this. He's they they see him as the player that he was. He's tough and kind of gritty and rough, and yeah. that's not who he is at all. The key is the he is one of the group when it comes to the players. It's a partnership. It's an, it, it, that's how he coaches. He's also a hockey nerd, you know, to use his own term. He dives into a lot of research. He, he really likes to talk the game and to analyze the game. I don't know that people realize it. I, I want to raise a red flag about Mike Babcock in Seattle, though, knowing what a progressive uh, city that is, the politics <laughs> there. Can you imagine introducing Mike Babcock as your head coach in Seattle? That, to me, is... That's uh, 
that's a bad decision. Well, and that's, that's also, that is it. That to me, Babcock fits the bill of, aside from everything else, a recycled coach. Like these other names we're talking about, it's like, okay, there's still upside with talking. Tortorella does this. Babcock to me, and even Claude Julian to a certain extent, like we've seen them coaching. It's, that doesn't mean they can't ever get back in, but I just feel like you know what your ceiling is with those guys at this point. Yeah. Fair point. Uh, as, as far as, as players, Connor Garland's, I mean, the Coyotes obviously making him a priority this offseason. He's a restricted free agent. I think people sometimes forget that. And they're like, oh, he's just going to walk. He can't just walk. But I know we have some questions about how likely it would be that another team would offer sheet him. Uh, Craig, where do you think they are on this? I don't think there's going to be an offer sheet. Uh, uh, my understanding is the contract talks for Connor Garland. He's the only player right now for the Coyotes where the contract talks have begun. I think they began this week. So we'll see where those go. Garland is obviously over at the World Championship right now, but his agent uh, – is handling all this. So, I mean, I think this is going to take a little while, but clearly they wanted to get to him first because there are other guys out there. My understanding is nothing has happened yet with Michael Bunting, maybe the possibility of bringing Alex Goligoski. Nothing's happened there. So uh, Connor Garland is clearly a priority for this franchise. Yeah, and I think his number, unfortunately for him, probably started to decline the last 20 games. I don't think he had the impact on the roster, the score sheet, um, and, and the standings that he did in the first 20 games. Um, so that's going to hurt him a little bit. I think he's a Coyote next year. I don't think there's any question about that. I just want to see what that number is. And the interesting thing about when a management and a player – get into these discussions, it's just, it's a really odd dynamic because the management is trying to tell the player that he's not very good. Well, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. It's almost a negative connotation. But then when the first day of camp starts, you have to be on the same page and we love you. It's a really strange dynamic, mm. especially when it goes to arbitration. You, you're fighting with the player that you really, really want, but you have to tell him how bad he is. It's just that it's so odd to me how that – that happens over the summer, and then at training camp, we all love each other again. So Connor Garland, I don't think he's going to get the money he wants. He's going to be disappointed. He wants Keller money. And and I, and I think anything less than Keller money, and he'll be disappointed. I don't think it's going to affect his play. Connor Garland is who he is, prepares how he prepares, and he plays how he plays. So I don't think it will affect him, but I know he'll come into day one disappointed. I left something out of the notes, Luke, uh, but it, it came to light this week. Uh, Jack Eichel, obviously, there's a lot of trade moves swirling around him, and there was a report earlier that the Coyotes were a major suitor. I, I was told that's actually not the case. The Coyotes actually are not interested in Jack Eichel, and they've had no conversations about him. My question to you guys is, should they be interested? Jack Eichel is a number one center, and the franchise has not had that for two decades. We we briefly touched on this last week. Somebody asked about Kuznetsov or Eichel, and I said, you know, certainly Eichel more than Kuznetsov for the reason you just laid out there. I know we've we've gotten into a little bit in the past, and I'm I, PD. I, I'm pretty sure you've sort of said this, and I and I tend to agree. You know, does Eichel want to be here? Is it the time to build around a guy like that who expects to win right now? I think there's a lot to that, but I, I will say this: he's number one center, and. It's just taken so, I, I like, I don't know that you can pick when you get that guy. The more I think about it, the more, I, and like Craig, even you and I were talking about the other day, like, would you really give up an, a, a first round pick for Eichel? Like you can't, the Coyotes have, they don't have enough. Well, you're probably not going to get number one center with any of those first round picks. I don't know that there's much I wouldn't trade for Eichel, but at the same time, A, I definitely don't think it's going to happen. And B, 
it to me it's more they just need number one center. Eichel, I don't know, is the right guy at the right time. And I, and I don't think he would want to to come here because he wants to win right now. I don't know if the Coyotes are going to uh, – the Coyotes, like Petey said, probably not going to challenge for the Stanley Cup next year. It's interesting. And I guess that's why we're sitting on a podcast early morning on a Friday and Bill Armstrong sitting in an office thinking. I mean, that's his job. Like, I, we can speculate all we want. A number one center for a team changes your franchise instantly but a high level high-end player thrown into a locker room without the proper fit does you no good uh recently taylor hall taylor hall came to arizona taylor hall is a former mvp he's an unbelievable hockey player he didn't help because he didn't fit i don't see a very good fit with jack eichel here with the current coyotes roster i if i'm if i'm still working there and i'm in the coaches room absolutely give me Jack Eichel. For sure, let's put him in our room. Well, you know, if you can improve your skill, absolutely let's do it. But if you really look at financially what it's going to cost you, what it's going to cost you in resources and assets in the short term, I just don't know if they're ready to make that commitment. And on the flip side, Jack Eichel, similar to Taylor Hall, he wants to go somewhere where he can help this that team pushed the ball down the field. And I, and I don't know if that's here in Arizona. So I don't know if he'd be thrown into this and if he'd be happy. And he, he's a player that needs to be happy to perform well. He needs to feel like he's being well taken care of. He needs to be liked. I don't want to say coddled, but it's got to be, he's got to be really important. And I'm not sure that that would happen here in Arizona. How much does that, the situation scare you? Pardon me? How much does the injury situation scare you? I mean, we're, we're not talking about like a, a wrist or something. We're talking about vertebrae. That one Honestly, I don't know enough about much. it. Yeah, I just I think he's still young enough in this league. I mean, I, I, it has to be something that comes up. But I think what Petey just said of he's somebody that needs to be happy. And you're even if you go on a run next year, even if you go on a on a, on a crazy run, you know, it's hockey. Anything can happen. You're coming into the season with a new coach and still a pretty young team. And so if you bring Jack Eichel in. Does that put pressure on everybody to, you know, even the coach? Everything's got to be developed faster or Jack's going to be unhappy. If Jack's unhappy, does that rub off on some of the other players in the in the room? I mean, you just – I think you put a lot more pressure on the start of next season if you bring him in. Again, I think big picture it's probably worth it because we've seen how long they've waited for a true number one center. But I I understand in this case why maybe they're not doing it. Whereas like a year ago when they were leading the division, when they made the trade for Taylor Hall – if Jack Eichel was available, 100%, you make that move, right? Mm-hmm. That's fair. I can't uh, think about the Shining after you talking about Jack being unhappy. <laughs> we, we don't uh, want Jack unhappy. makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs> That's, I, how is that not like the theme for Buffalo the last couple of years? <laughs> uh, I, real quick, I want to go back to one thing you guys said about Garland and him wanting Keller money. A, Keller shouldn't be getting Keller money. Are they able to use that in the discussions? And then B, and I don't know if there's a a definitive answer to this, but can Bill Armstrong sit down and and basically say, like, I'm not the one who signed Clayton Keller for seven years and over $7 million or whatever, eight years, I guess. Um, So I'm not using that as part of the contract. Sorry, Connor. Yeah, I I think he has to say that. He has to be honest about it because that is the case. Yeah, I think you look at those long-term contracts of the, that core group of five, and 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 I think there are some that you would like to rethink. But on the, you know, the same hand, you're getting Christian Dvorak at a pretty decent number, and Jacob Chikrin's number down the road is going to look amazing. 
amazing. So you, you know, it's a gamble. I know when they were when they were signed, you go, "Gosh, these are going to be good contracts." Years out, you you didn't know where Keller was going. So I think it was, that one was a little premature because that one is going to handcuff this team. And it's not just the comparable comparables; it's going to be the ability to move that asset if you want to. So it, it's a tough it's a tough contract. And you're right, um, Bill Armstrong is not married to that contract. He didn't sign the contract, and I think that will absolutely be part of the conversation with Connor Garland. Uh, Craig, you have in the notes the World Championships. I mean, this is to me, it's it's one of the great things about hockey. These guys get done playing a condensed fifty-six game schedule. They're all beat up, and they immediately jump at the opportunity to go play in the World Championships. Um, Garland, Michael Bunting, Aiden Hill, probably those last two. Really, probably Bunting more than anybody. I mean, do you see this experience as being something that maybe makes them better players going into next year? Yeah, I wanted to ask Petey that because, you know, you, you hear that about what an incredible experience. But what's the tangible impact of that? And, and by the way, they, they, they jumped at the chance to go over and sit in their hotels for a week because they're basically on lockdown yeah. for the first week while they're at the World Championship. So it's like an extension of the NHL season. But Petey, what tangibly can they get from this? Well, this is an interesting tournament. It's not the Olympics. The Olympics has best on best and it's the premier hockey event or, you know, the world, the world cup where you have best on best. The problem with this particular tournament, the world championships is you only have the pool of assets that are eliminated from the playoffs and you're not getting the best players. And, and that high end player is looking at this going, Hey, I just played 56 game. I'm tired. No, I'm not going to go to Latvia and sit in a hotel room. So then you, you keep going down the list. And the reality is Michael Bunting's probably not on that roster, but for Shane Doan, you know, Shane, and I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. I, I don't mean that by any stretch. Maybe Michael Bunting had an unbelievable second half of the season. Fantastic player, high skilled, going to be a good player over there, but he's on this team because Shane Doan recognized that, saw him and was familiar with him. That's how he's he selected to this. Um, those rosters, they, they, they have a hard time getting a team fielded for both the U.S. and Canada. Now, in Europe, this is a highly coveted tournament. It's watched on television. It's a big event in Europe. It's a bigger tournament even than the Olympics in some cases. So you'll see better participation from the European teams. Um, for Michael Bunting personally and Connor Garland personally, this is huge. The 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 chance for these guys to play for their country and put those sweaters on and compete in important games at this time of the year is huge. Michael Bunting is going to play with high, high end players in a condensed time frame, night after night in games that they're expected to win. This is huge in his development. This and his versus sitting at home, um, starting to think about, Hey, when am I going to start working out again? This is huge in his development and Connor Garland, the same thing. He's going to get an expanded role here with, with team USA. He's going to be put in some offensive situations. I think this is great for both of these guys to have this opportunity on a world stage. I wanted to ask you this because you, you, you referenced this earlier. Uh, you might have a better sense of this. When we look at these rosters and you mentioned bunting probably got that selection because of Doan, And I think Aiden Hill's probably the same situation. How many guys turn this down, especially on the North American side of the ocean? It's it's a large list. Yeah, you, you'd be surprised. And and, it's, and and you know what? The problem is we talked about the schedule, but you talk about injuries. Guys are tired. They're hurt. They play hurt the last 10 games. You know what? I'm not traveling over there. And that schedule is really tough. They're playing a game every other day. It's hard. You don't want to do that when you're hurt. Um, 
there's other guys that are older and have families. They haven't seen their kids. You know, you talk about this, this COVID year, you've been in a bubble this whole time. You're not experiencing life. And now you got to go tell your wife and kids, Hey, by the way, I just finished this schedule. I'm leaving to Latvia for a month. It's not a week or two. It's a month. Like you're gone for a long period of time. So I think it is harder and harder. And that's why you look at the younger players jumping at the chance. And I think that's why, you know, Shane Doan referenced it in, in, in the media recently, how, how far down the list you actually get. And it's, it is hard to field these teams. Um, they're all good players. Michael Bunting deserves it. Aiden Hill deserves it. You know, Darcy Kemper, they're, they're all deserving of the role they're playing, but it is a harder tournament to field just because of the timing. Uh, let's jump into some of these listener questions since we're already at about an hour. Oh, I will start. I'm not with, ready for these questions. How do you prep like we, for these we questions? Need, we need music in, introducing music. We do. That, you know wow. what? Just to, so we can get a deep breath and fill up our coffee before I have to figure out if I like ketchup or not. You don't. <sighs> in most situations, you don't like ketchup. That's the best <laughs> like, path to success yeah, just, here. Okay, I got that now. Um, Okay, Desert Doggies 96. I've heard that Jan Yannick plays with some attitude and grit. How would you compare his playing style with Connor Garland and Michael Bunting? Hmm. Probably more towards the Bunting side of things. More towards the Bunting. He's a guy that what he had to learn, and I think it's, you know, the the American League has been good for him, but because he has to learn what that line is. Um, And Michael Bunting took time to learn that line too. And with, with Yannick, it's, he gets hurt because he doesn't have the physical attributes to back up what his mouth and his gloves and his stick are throwing out on a nightly basis. And that gets him into trouble. So he's going to have to find that, that sweet spot for him where he not sitting in the penalty box. and He's not sitting in the, in the training room. Um, you want to have that edge to the game. That's great. Like it's, it's rare to have a player that, that plays that fearless and can agitate the opponents as well as players like Bunting and Yannick, but he can't be hurt and he can't be in the penalty box. He's a skilled player. I mean, he's got some offensive upside. He is going to be a guy that you'll see on the NHL. I hope the Coyotes keep him in the American League for another year. Uh, Booper, this one's for Petey specifically. Uh-oh. And now I've lost it. If a person oh, wanted to get into, no, I found it. If a person wanted to get into some kind of coaching or scouting at the NHL level, what are some steps they could take? They, well, this is hard because I guess I ask that a lot. And the truth is, most of the people that find their way into the NHL, and I'm not saying the head coaches and, and general managers, but at a lower level, there's a little bit of luck. The biggest thing I would do is one, watch hockey, be around hockey. And love the sport as much as you possibly can, first of all. So you're a student of the game. Second of all, get to know people inside of the sport. And I mean anybody and everybody. Send emails, make phone calls, um, try to get connected with somebody inside the sport. And I know that may sound difficult, but for every person that has a job, there are literally thousands of people that want that job. Um, so you have to be prepared to get rejection. You have to be prepared to this path's not going to work today, but it might work next week. I, I worked in restaurants and hotels for the first seven years of my life out of college. And I kept trying to get into hockey. And honestly, it was somebody I had met at a dinner event in Minneapolis years and years prior that eventually got the door opened a little tiny crack. And I happened to be in the right place at the right time. You have to be able to do that. You have to be, Meet people, talk to people, and love the game of hockey. And the other thing is, people that 
that think of pro sports as what a glamorous job and how wonderful pro sports is. And Luke, you can attest to this too. One, it's incredibly hard. The hours are difficult. And guess what? The only people getting rich are the players and the head coach. Everybody else, you're not doing this for the money. Um, it's great to go to work every day at a hockey rink, but be well aware of all of the things that, that, that come with it. Yeah, I can't yeah. attest to that at all, Luke. I don't work hard. No, you don't, you <laughs> Notice I didn't mention you, Craig. I didn't throw you into that. <laughs> 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 I, I would back up, though. I mean, obviously, I have never coached with an NHL team, but I would just say in terms of working in, in pro sports, the, the schedule is, has, and, and look, I mean, PD, I'm sure it was a thousand times worse for you because you're flying to all these different cities and trying all these different pizzas. So maybe it was a little glamorous, but yeah, even Craig, I guess <laughs> yeah. to a certain extent when, when he's not hanging out on the west side of Manhattan, um, the schedules, the schedule is, is what you don't think about when you're getting in. It's worth it. I mean, the trade off is great because you're working in sports as opposed to, I can't even imagine working some other jobs. I mean, I've done it before, but now it's like you, you, you work to get into the, the world of sports, but just know your biggest sacrifice is going to be your schedule and the people around you have to make that sacrifice too. And the you other thing too, the juice, you get so much juice from this job. It's, it's just so much fun to be around and, and be willing to start off. And I think everybody here is can say that you, you got to be willing to start off. You're not going to start off in the national hockey league at any job as a player, as a coach, as a manager, that's just, Oh, I've, finished college and now I'm the general manager of the Arizona Coyotes. It doesn't work that way. You have to be willing, whether it's the East Coast League, whether it's, you know, the, the, the USHL, if you really want to work in sports, mm-hmm. go work in sports. And, and there are teams locally in people's communities that are at a much lower level. Even if you have to volunteer, do that. Get an opportunity to be around it and then work really, really hard. I had a, I had a coach before I finally got in. I had an assistant coach that was in the league that I was a friend of a friend of a friend. And I called him and I said, how do I get in? He said, do whatever you can and do it for free. If that means go to the arena and hand out programs as people walk into the building, go do that, but do it as best as you can and work as hard as you can. And hopefully someone notices. So that's my other advice. Be willing to start low and work hard. The same goes for journalism, too. I have a lot of students who ask me, hey, you know, how, how can I cover the NHL? I'm like, basically want to tell them you can't unless you're, you know, unless you have some incredible connection that gets you a job covering the NFL for ESPN right out of college. You're, you're not going to get those gigs. You have to start at the lower levels covering prep sports or covering uh, smaller college sports. That's that's the way it starts for most people in this industry as well. Yeah, and that's why, you know, he says be willing to work for free. There is a point where you have to then draw the line so people aren't taking advantage of you. But, you know, working for free at the beginning is getting the experience. And then also what you guys are saying, use that time where you're handing out flyers at the rink or whatever to make sure you make connections because you're going to need the connections at some point. And you never know. You never know who, you know, make genuine connections. Like, don't just be trying to use people because people can see that. But it may be somebody who was your friend, your second week out of out of college that comes back like Petey said six years later and ends up helping you uh get get the uh the job you're looking for or at least get your foot in the door um big tortilla it is said i think he means nolan patrick is looking for a fresh start is it worth arizona is it worth it for arizona to take a look at him or is his injury history too much to ignore that's an interesting name man his injury history is one thing i mean he had he had a terrible season just disappeared yeah. He was supposed to be the number one pick in the draft a couple years ago, and he's like gone. 
Aside from the lack of production and the, the, the play away from the puck, I mean, I don't look at this stat very often, but he was a minus 30 in 52 games this year. That is the second worst number in the NHL. That's, that's an eye-popping stat right there. There's something wrong there. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good fit right now. And again, I don't know his situation well enough to know where his contract and what it's going to cost you. He was a highly coveted player back in the draft back in 2017. So you know he has some skill and the attributes that scouts are looking for. That hasn't translated into the NHL to this point. Um, is it the way he's being coached? Is it the city? Is it his line mates? Is it the fit? I, I don't know the situation well enough. Um, there must have been something there at some point. I don't think it's a player, like you said, Craig, he's got four goals this season. I, I, I just don't think that that's a guy that they're going to go out on a limb for. Um, but I think they'll, you'll need to see his career resurgence somewhere else. It's not going to be in Arizona. It is crazy, too, when you look at, at the number one overall picks. I know he ultimately went number two, but for most of that season, he was it was speculated he was going to go number one overall. You'll get the number one overall picks since like 2000. There are, other than Nail Yakupov, there really are no busts. I mean, I guess Rick DiPietro was the number one pick in 2000. That was back when goalies went number one overall. But I mean, otherwise, the NHL usually gets it right with the first pick. Even if they don't end up being the best player in the draft, they're, they're still impact players. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you guys. It, it is, I mean, that, that draft was, that was only 2017. So he, he shouldn't be a bust yet, but he kind of is right now. He's going to have to resurrect it somewhere. To me, if I'm Nolan Patrick, I'm trying to get on one of those really good teams where I don't have to be anywhere near the guy and I can kind of quietly rebuild. Yeah, and you still got time. You look at the guys in that draft. I mean, he's he's not like he's an outlier, like he's struggling from that draft. I mean, he's the players that are in that draft, they're role players in most places. You, you got Pedersen f- for Vancouver, who's clearly elite from that draft. Um, Kel McCarr was in that draft to Colorado. So you do have some of those elite players, but you're talking about Yamamoto is in that draft. And there are not that they're not there yet. Like, so there's still time to resurrect his career. I mean, we're playing in the league for three years. He's not washed up yet, but I just don't think that the Arizona Coyotes is a good fit for him to make that happen right now. Uh, Nathan, do you guys see Armstrong trying to trade into the first round or stand pat with what we have for picks? Well, he's been trying to trade into the first round for a very long time. It's just that, how do you get there? You know, he had hoped that, uh, you know, one of his UFAs, one of his guys on expiring contract might get him there like a Darcy Kemper, but nobody was offering first round picks. And that rarely happens for a goalie anyway. You know, I, I think the only way that they could trade into the first round is in, in a significant package that would have to be part of it. But I don't expect it to happen, to be honest. Yeah, with, agree with Craig. This is his background. It's the draft. He's a, he he finds raw talent and he develops it. That's what he's known for. So he has no bullets in his gun right now. So he's the frustration he must be feeling going into this draft. It must be immense. So I think if he can get a first round pick, he's going to get it. But, but to Craig's point, they tried all last summer. Once he was hired, they tried to get a first round pick. They thought it was going to be OEL. They thought it was going to be Kemper. It just didn't come to pass. So who is that guy? What is that piece to get the piece back? Kemper clearly didn't have the year he needed to have to be demanding of a first-round pick, and Oliver didn't either. So I don't know if they have the ability to get a first-round pick. He absolutely wants to be a player in the draft. He absolutely wants to be be able to go and have a first-round pick. I just don't know where it comes from. 
Craig put this in the notes and I just blatantly ignored it. But I mean, how much do you think that they, the fact that nobody's really been able to scout players going into this draft and really a lot of these players haven't even been able to play going into this year's draft. How much could that potentially help the coyotes with two second round picks in the sense that maybe you get somebody with those second round picks that would have been the 12th pick overall in a normal year or whatever. Yeah. yeah I'm, re- I'm really curious about that one. I, I don't have an answer for it. It's, it's sort of an unprecedented situation, but when, when you have the top league in, in terms of producing uh, draft picks each year, the OHL not even playing a season and then other leagues were limited or, you know, they had these startups and shutdowns. You had limits on your scouts. I do wonder what sort of impact it's going to have. Yeah. I don't know either. And I don't know if that means somebody's going to fall into your lap or it's just going to be a disaster. And everybody goes, Oh my gosh, who did we pick? I, I honestly don't know. It's such an important part of developing a winning organization is drafting and developing and, and to have be handcuffed so greatly here. I mean, it worldwide, the ability for these guys to play and have seasons and to show what they can do is so limited. I honestly don't know how you handicap this year's draft. I don't know. Are you going off what a guy did? two years ago when you're 17 you're not physically mature you're not up to your skill level that you're going to be at so i don't think that's fair um i don't know how they're going to do it i i know there was a lot of talk to postpone the draft for a complete year and get everybody up to speed and i think there was a, a lot of push by a lot of teams to do that um clearly it didn't happen so we're going to have a draft i don't even know what to look for and, and I, I, I don't know how the scouts are going to get around that and management's going to get around that to pick a team that they or pick players that they think can impact their roster. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Past the, you know, the, the, the elite guys will be the same, right? But, but then it gets really interesting. Like middle of the first round, it's going to get really interesting from that yeah. point on. I don't know. You, you talk about the television coverage, you need your, your national television coverage. How are they going to have those packages ready on those guys? Like, I, I, well, who's this guy? Never heard of him. You're, you're going to get that. You're going to get who? Yeah, it's going to be tough. You're going to have highlights from when they were playing hockey when they were like nine years old or exactly. how to skate. Exactly. Um, okay, Thomas Martin. Yeah, uh, we didn't we didn't mention this actually. Is Uh-oh. Nazem Kadri the equivalent to a Tom Wilson yet? Is he worse or not as bad? He's been suspended five times in the playoffs. <laughs> Look, I won't rehash the whole Tom Wilson thing. My thing with Wilson is not that he plays physical; it's that I think there's a different standard for him than there is for a lot of other players. I don't think Kadri's as bad, but uh, there's a lot of Maple Leafs fans that would tell you he was very frustrating to have in the playoffs because he would get suspended at key moments, and he is suspended for Colorado right now. Well, maybe this will be his one suspension with them up 2-0 on St. Louis already, and it won't be that big a deal. But, yeah, that that was a spendable hit. It, it was. Yeah. It just, Hell, yeah. It is, but it, the difference to me on the two players, I it's a suspendable hit, period. I don't like it. And and I think for a player like Kadri, you need him in your lineup. He provides so many things to that team. He can't walk the line like he does. He can't he, because he's more important for that roster. The difference between Wilson and Kadri, I think Wilson is dangerous. I think he's a dangerous player. And I I think every time he's, time he's on the ice, I'm afraid he's going to hurt somebody. And and that's that's a different edge. Kadri's he's that instigator, feisty. Is he trying to hurt you? I, I don't know if he's trying to hurt you. He's a dirty 
got a little dirty dirtiness to him. He'll use a stick and his body as best he can. But he's also out there to score goals. I mean, he's he's out there to be an offensive threat, and he has a different, much, much different role on his team than Tom Wilson does with the Capitals. I think he's a much more valuable offensive player, even though Wilson gets numbers. I, I know that. But Kadri's an offensive player that plays on an edge that he has to it, – it, You'd like to say he has to learn and change. Clearly, he's not going to do that. This is the player he is. So anticipate that this is going to happen. To Craig's point, lucky it's now. They're up to nothing. Maybe this, maybe this is his one suspension for this playoff run, and he can get his head back on straight. Uh, let's go with Coyote and Philly. What's the possibly mundane Guinness World Record you're closest to breaking? I would say longest podcast in the history of podcasts. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'd say you guys have broken that for sure. <laughs> I think I don't. Only- I got to go back and listen to Jamie Eisner. Did he help draw this thing out? Was he was he long winded? Oh yeah, yeah. He's probably PD. Let me explain it this way. He's yeah. probably still talking to us right now in some studio, thinking we're recording and we've all moved on. So I need to. You know what I need to do? I need to get together with Gilbert Anthony because I'm sure he's probably got clipped together highlights of Jamie's <laughs> Jamie Eisner's best comments and clips and hits so i need to get together with gilbert anthony and, and kind of educate myself on jamie eisner as far as mundane I, that, by, by the way that should take about nine seconds to listen to the best of jamie eisner wow wow so tell tell gilbert anthony get on that the best of jamie eisner just so i can be educated so that's that mundane guinness book world records guys i don't know if i walk my dog one more time i i, I do set that in my neighborhood we took I've got this little dog, well, my wife does, and we walk the dog. I bet the dog gets six or seven walks a day, Ooh. and that starts by 5.30 a.m. every day. So I'll go with the dog walking record in my neighborhood, clearly, not even close. I'll go with the longest streak of not even being tempted to taste an IPA. <laughs> It's always all beer or food with you. Always, Craig. Yeah. Here, we talk about protein shakes and working out, but yet you're always talking about beer and hot dogs. I'm, there's a dichotomy there. I'm not quite sure where you lie yet. Mm. Yeah, well, I think probably, we all know. I'm probably probably lying about the workout and the, the, the recovery. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, this one's from It's Double O, Frosty. Hmm, interesting. The three of you, I believe, said you'd take McDavid, McKinnon, and Matthews as your three forwards for building your best line. But who plays center, left wing, and right wing on that line? And go. Uh, here, I'll take center. McKinnon's my center. Yeah. Austin Matthews on the left. And uh, well, actually, I wouldn't do that. I would put Nathan McKinnon on the right wing because he's a right shot. Really? Okay. And I would have McDavid at center and Austin Matthews on the left wing. Yeah, I'd have McDavid in the middle for sure because that that position, I I think we're going to break McKinnon loose when he's in defensive zone coverage. He's going to play higher in the zone. You're going to throw pucks out, and he's going to beat the defenseman on the race. I think Connor McDavid's going to be good down low. He's a smart hockey IQ guy, so I want him as my center down low. McKinnon. As much as we talked about how physical and how quick he is, I think the hockey IQ meter is the highest with McDavid, so I want him playing in the middle of the ice. Well, here's my follow-up question: If you put all those better analysis than the two of us, (laughs) he just obliterated you. Oh, he's right-handed, so. (laughs) (laughs) Petey definitely went into coaching mode there for a second. Like his cadence changed and everything. if that was a line in Toronto, would they still lose in the first round of the playoffs? That's the <laughs> or Pittsburgh. How about that look? Oh, that's, that's, that's way too close to home. Dirty. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a low blow right there. 
Um, By the way, and I, I, I know this is so foregone, and I, I, I worked for Team North America in, in the World Cup Hockey in 2016. Those three guys did play together. And you, you talk about having those three guys on the same team. My goodness, was that a good hockey team. And if you put that team together today, wow, wow, look out. That, the, to think those three guys played on the same team and on the same power play, Unbelievable. Craig, did you notice how Petey leaned forward a little bit in his Team North America jersey? See the jersey on the wall behind. Yeah, there it is. Flexing a little bit there. Buddy. No, no big deal. You know, the NBD man, living uh, the dream. Uh, Jan Yannick, fan club leader. Do we have a bunker prep for when the Coyotes finally win a lottery and it doesn't matter? Well, thankfully, they can't. They're just not even in the lottery. That would be well, the ultimate. They are in the lottery, actually. They're, they actually have the chance of being drawn, which, you know, I had to ask Bill Daly why. <laughs> well, they are going to, but they're not going to tell us that though, right? Or are they? Well, if they get drawn, they're, they're just going to have a redraw. And he told me it, 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 it creates more even odds for all the teams in it. And that's why they elected to keep them in. But yes, the Coyotes could be selected and then they would just do a redraw. You have got to be kidding me. To torture why? the fan base. Wow. You have got to be kidding. And, and you know, I don't know if they'll televise that portion of it, but you know, as a Coyote fan, this is the one you win. The one you can't win is the one you do win. 100% they are winning this lottery. <laughs> oh, that's if painful. They it, if they win it, they should hold up the emblem and just go, psych, and then yeah. drop it back. <laughs> Sonk. Yeah, it's not even fair. Oh, man. I, I sat there with the entire Coyotes hockey operation staff at a local establishment on the Connor McDavid ping pong ball drop season. We all sat there, and as that those placards came out of the envelope, you're like, oh, my goodness. We might, oh my goodness. And everyone, you got a little bit of chills and a little, and then all of a sudden, it was just in an instant, all those dreams were just dashed when they pulled out the golden oil symbol. And you're going, it was almost a disbelief. It happened again. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was, it, it, what a buzzkill on that moment as a Coyote employee when you saw that golden oil. We, we didn't even know what had happened. What, what happened? Everybody's kind of looking at each other. Did this really just happen again to the Oilers? Four out of the last six years, they have the first pick overall, and this franchise has never had it since I've been in Arizona. Absolutely. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I think, honestly, that right there, I mean, I've said this before, but when, when the league was looking to punish the Coyotes and they were going to take picks away, how about you just look back to what you did in 2015 to the Coyotes and call it even at that point? <laughs> yeah. The, um, that, you know, from, from a different perspective, too, like just sports fans in this city and working in sports radio and fans that weren't necessarily like they're just Arizona sports fans, but not necessarily knowing a whole lot about hockey. They were all dialed in for that draft. And the way you look at how it played out now <laughs> in a weird way, I know the Coyotes haven't had a ton of like playoff success since then, but Jack Eichel would have been better off with the Coyotes. And I do wonder if Connor McDavid would have been better off with the Coyotes because they've been to the playoffs as often as the Oilers. <laughs> exactly. It's not like things are going swimmingly for the Sabres and Oilers right. because they got those picks. They haven't done anything with those guys, and we just got through talking about Connor McDavid potentially suffering through another postseason where he, he bows out in the first round. It's it's unbelievable to me. And by the way, as long as we're on this, the Coyotes don't have a first-round pick because of illegally fitness-testing draft-eligible players before the scouting combine in 2019. I'm going to say this. I don't think I've said this on the record before, and I'm not going to divulge things. But when you dive into what actually happened in that situation, it is staggering to me how hard the league came down on them. I do not believe that the punishment fits the crime when you actually dive into what actually happened. 
I understand the league had to come down hard and say, look, you're, you're, you're breaking the rule, the spirit of the rule. But when you actually dive into the, the particulars, the details of what happened to take away two draft picks the way they did, no way do I believe that the, the, the punishment fits the crime. Yeah. If this was the NFL and we were talking about the Patriots, it would have been a seventh rounder and that would have been probably all you heard about it. Right. Um, We've got a ton of questions. I don't want to go all day. So we'll just, we'll wrap up with this one. And this is kind of an interesting one that I, I know it's been brought up a lot, but I don't know if we've really talked about it on this show. Uh, Dave Henning writes in, seemed like OEL had a little spring in his step the last two games, maybe excited by having the young Swede Soderstrom paired up with him. Could Soderstrom's presence and Tockett's absence give OEL a mental reset that makes him a solid top four defenseman again? I mean, there's a lot of connecting dots there that might be correlation and not actually causation. OEL's taken he's, – he's definitely dipped. I mean, his play has dipped over the last few years. I know it's easy to look and say, well, that must be the coach. Maybe a new coach will get something different out of him. I don't know that it's that simple, but what do you guys see for OEL next year? Do you think he's still on the Coyotes next year? I, I don't know yet. I actually had a, a notebook this week. I spoke to his agent, Kevin Epp, and they have not had that conversation with the Coyotes yet. So we'll wait and see. I'm sure that conversation is coming soon. I would not be surprised if the Coyotes asked him to waive his no-move clause once again and maybe expand the list of teams. Now, obviously, OAL still has that control, but when a team has already tried to trade you once, do you really want to come back to a team that that clearly – doesn't want you around. I don't, I don't know how that's going to play out. As far as the Soderstrom angle, I don't even think he belongs in the NHL next season. So I, if, if Victor Soderstrom is on the NHL roster next season, it means they're rushing him as a prospect, which is something the Coyotes have made the mistake of doing way too many times in the past. It, it either means that or Victor Soderstrom just comes into camp and blows their socks off with, with how he looks. But right now, what I saw in Victor Soderstrom, even in those last two games, He's not ready to be in the NHL, not even close. Yeah, I think you hit it every, every point right here, Craig. And, and with Soderstrom, I, yeah, I'm sure OEL got a little boost from that. Sure he did. And you go back, the best hockey Oliver played here in Arizona was, was when Keith Yandel was around. So I know that who you're partnered with or paired with or on the ice with makes a big difference for a player. Um I look at the biggest point with Oliver is you're at a franchise that if they do try to move him again this summer, that's two consecutive seasons going into the season that you go, hey, we want you to leave. We don't want you here. And I don't care if you've got an eight to five job or you're a defenseman in the National Hockey League. If your employer or boss doesn't want you there, it's a real tough situation to go to work and smile and say this is great every day i i think for oliver if he really wants to rejuvenate his career and have a resurgent he has to leave i believe that i think there's still gas in the tank i think he can still help a team i think there's a few things i think he can't be captain anymore I, i think that distracts him i don't think he has he needs to be focused on his job and his job alone and not worry about everybody else in the room so I think if he goes to another team, that's much more likely to happen. He's just one of the guys. If he becomes one of the guys, I think he'll be a better player. Offensively, he's still skilled, talented hockey player. We just haven't seen it here in Arizona for a while. For some of the reasons you've mentioned, it's not the right fit. He needs a change. 
I think he still has years left in him. I am concerned, though, about his contract. Just like we talked about Keller's, he's got a big contract that's going to be difficult to move for a team that's going to have to look at Oliver as a number three or four. So as a role-playing defenseman or an offensive power play specialist, that's a big, big contract. So I, I think it's it's far from over that you'll be able to move that without eating some of that money. But I think for both the Coyotes and Oliver, uh, a divorce is the right thing to at the right time. All right. We will end on that note. Sorry for all the questions we didn't get to here. I'll throw this last one in from Dangle Snipe Belly. This is one of his questions. Caramel apples really worth the hassle to eat. I've never had a caramel apple. Seriously? Yeah. Never the, 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 yeah I, they're fantastic. But I, again, if you're going to have sweets, what do you need the fruit for? Like, yeah. I, give me caramels all the melted caramel. Put it on ice cream. Don't put it on an apple. Ooh. Like what, what? It's tough on your teeth. They get stuck in your teeth. It's too chewy. Put caramel over ice cream, not over an apple. It's not right. a pleasant eating experience. And, and I, I just think caramel apples are okay. I'm, I'm not a giant fan of those. But it's not 1950 anymore. Yeah, like, thank you. Exactly. Like <laughs> you're headed a, a barrel and try and come up with an apple. <laughs> I, I think we should end on this question. All three of okay. you are stranded on a desert aisle. One is in charge of food, water, one shelter, and the other building a rescue signal. Who does each task? To me, this is easy, actually. I'm, I'm putting Petey in charge of the rescue signal because he's probably the most, although you're technically inclined, too. Looks but, pretty techie. Uh, I, I don't know which of you can build a shelter. I know it's not me, so I'm going to be in charge of food and water because I do have some skills there. Craig will bring uh, coffee and Dunkin' Donuts. So yeah, I was going to say, we're going to have donut holes slash balls and hot dogs with no ketchup. So I don't want Craig in charge of the food. What the hell am I going to eat? Like, seriously, clearly no ketchup on that island, so I'm screwed. Well, brother, let me tell you something. You don't want me in charge of the shelter. Yeah. <laughs> I just want right. to sit and complain and talk about all three. Let you guys do all the work. That's what I want to do, just like I do here. Let you guys do the heavy lifting, and I'll just sit and complain. Petey will set up a video review system on the island, and he'll just sit there and critique all of our work. Complain. Exactly. I love it. All right, that's going to do it for us. For Steve Peters, for Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.